Welcome to the IoT Security Podcast, powered by Phosphorus Cybersecurity, your source for securing the extended Internet of Things. Join the conversation with your hosts, Brian Contos and John Vecchi. Hello, everybody. You're listening to the IoT Security Podcast, live on Phosphorus Radio. I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contos, and we've got a really special guest today. Uh, let me just uh, bring him on board on the call. So, DJ Goldsworthy, how are you? Hey, doing great, Brian. How are you, John? Good to see you. Welcome. Yeah, we're real excited to have you back. DJ, it's been uh, been a couple years, I think, since we've been on the show together, and uh, was really, really looking forward to bringing you on again. Uh Tell you what, as as we get the audience a little bit uh, more acquainted with you, maybe you could give everybody a little bit of detail about your background and cyber and kind of how you came up and, and what your current roles and responsibilities are today. Sure. So, yeah, I've been in cybersecurity for um, almost two decades now. It's kind of crazy to think about. Um, started in managed security services, providing uh, outsourced cybersecurity to about a thousand U.S. financial institutions. So, uh, in my latter time there, I was running research and development. So, got a a lot of exposure to uh, cybersecurity trends, uh, what vendors uh, were doing, you know, in the solutioning space, and then uh, determining who we wanted to partner with to bring uh, products into our portfolio. So that that kind of you know, grew me up uh, in, in terms of getting a lot of exposure to uh, many different areas of cyber. Um, more recently, I've been um, at Affleck building up the cybersecurity capabilities there uh, with, with some great teams over uh, security operations, uh, threat management, and security engineering. So um, that's a, it's a mouthful there. That's, that's pretty close to my actual title. Um, <laughs> I have uh, eight teams uh, in, in the, the part of the area uh, organization that I'm responsible for and uh, doing most of the operational security stuff so vulnerability management pen testing um, engineering so all the build uh, build and operate functions and then security operations uh, so the monitor respond um, uh, functions as well so a lot of the the, the interesting fun uh, frontline stuff you know and DJ what I've always liked about you and at least you know as of a couple of years ago when we last spoke is you uh, Certainly, you're, you're a leader. You, you run many teams. You've got a, a large organization under you uh, at Affleck and, and prior to Affleck, but you're also really hands-on. I mean, you're in there scripting and coding and actually creating this stuff down in the trenches, which is, is kind of unusual uh, once people sort of, you know, start running larger organizations like yours. Uh, are you still able to do that today or still able to kind of get down there into the code? Yeah, not as much in the code. Um my my team would would give a chuckle if I said I was in there coding with them, but um, I I do try to stay very technical. It's it's a personal goal of mine. I feel like um, you know to be in a leadership position in cyber, you really have to have your your technical edge um, because things are changing so fast. You need to know what skill sets you need on your team. You need to be able to spot trends. You need to be able to spot good versus not so good technology. Um, and uh, you know to to do that, I think staying hands on is um it's a big advantage and so i definitely have the luxury of getting the pick and choose um you know, to a certain extent you know what i'm going to delve into um but there's no shortage of, of interesting things for me to get hands-on with so i'm very fortunate in this role and i've got a great team who uh who educates me on it all uh so get a shortcut some of the learning by 
uh, working with really smart people who can bring me up to speed on stuff quickly as well. So just a, a great situation. And and DJ, it's interesting. You have a lot of different teams. It's kind of fascinating sometimes to see you covered things like security operations and your security engineering and, and all the others. Can you talk a little bit about, do those teams interface with each other? Are they very involved with each other? Do you tackle the same kinds of projects together? Or how does that work with that many varying diverse teams today in, a, in, a, in the cyber threat landscape that you're dealing with every day? Yeah, I, I think the, probably the best way that I would describe it is it's like a, a Venn diagram. So there's, uh, there's definitely areas that very heavily overlap. And then there's a cross section where everything comes together. That, that cross section is, is generally uh, more on the strategy side. Which mm -hmm. direction are we going to enable the business? Um, what are adversaries doing and what are the big trends and, uh, and aligning all the different things that we're doing, um, you know, it, to, to make sure that we're, we're on the right side of those trends and, and moving in the program collectively in the right direction. Um, but then you have these, these logical, uh, connections with the teams where it just make, there's a lot of synergy, uh, take engineering and administration as an example, engineering builds, they hand it off to administration. So, um, those teams uh, are very closely intertwined, um, security operations, um, and, and threat management, uh, threat management, sort of the tip of the spear, looking at what's happening out there and obviously have to collaborate with the security operations folks uh, to, to make sure we're, we're understanding what techniques and tactics are out there and happening mm -hmm. and that we're able to detect them. So you get all these really interesting um, uh, intersections across the teams and synergies that we really try to, to uh, um, amplify uh, by the way we structure the leadership um, and, and it's, we've, we've left the organization, um, pretty fluid. We've, we've restructured things, uh, multiple times, uh, to make sure that the alignment makes sense. You know, DevOps was really disruptive to, you know, the, the previous structures, uh, in terms of how the teams were, were constructed. And that, that's led to some changes in, in how we, we structure even up to who's reporting to who. Um, so it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting dynamic having multiple teams and, and uh, figured out how to make uh, the setup work as, as efficiently as possible. And real quickly, did, did the budget, sorry, Brian, did, is the budget kind of equal across those or do you find budgets being allocated to certain teams far more than others? It's just, that was kind of an interesting thought I had. Is, is that the case or is it fairly well dispersed among all those teams? Um, you know, we really let the strategy drive investment. And that means that, that there isn't a, um, a straightforward answer to that. It could be mm -hmm. at points in time, pretty evenly distributed. It could be at times overwhelmingly concentrated in certain areas. Um, you know, as, as you do things like um, embrace public cloud and make a, a, a transition towards public cloud, um, your, your operating models change and different teams need, you know, substantially different tooling, operational processes, maybe more resources. And so you, you do see ebbs and flows in the concentration of investment. So we, we you know, from a, a FinOps standpoint, um, you know, try to, try to manage our, our, our operating budget at the top of the house mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, you know, controlling our, our investments uh, to make sure we're being good stewards of, of our, our company's dollars. Um, but, but making sure that the areas that need it are getting it. So, um, it does ebb and flow some. Now I'm guessing that your team was already pretty distributed before COVID came around. 
And of course, COVID was so impactful on so many organizations where people were working from home and teams mm-hmm. weren't getting together every day. H- how did that impact you? I mean, again, you have so many different groups. That synergy between them, as you mentioned, is so critical. Uh, was there a negative impact or because you were already in a distributed model, was it, did, did it really uh, impact what you did day to day at all? Yeah, we, um, we really didn't feel, um, I would say hardly any impact. I mean, the, there, there's of course the, um, the social connections and, and you try to find a way to, you know, work around the, the constraints of the pandemic, um, as it relates to just keeping our personal relationships, but we already had a really good um, team dynamic, uh, through the, all the different, um, communication tools at our disposal. You know, we were already on, um, you know, WebEx and teams and, and tools like that, that allowed us to collaborate, um, you know, very efficiently. And so when it happened from an operational standpoint, um, it, it, it was, it was barely a bump in the road. And, and I would say even for the company as a whole, um, you know, we were very well positioned for it because we, prior to, to the pandemic, um, our philosophy was, um, regardless of whether you're at home in a coffee shop or in the office, you should have a similar experience and you should have the, the same level of security uh, and visibility. And so we'd already shifted to like a secure access service edge type of model. And so when the pandemic hit and, and more people went remote um, as a percent on a percentage basis, it was really more of just like, a, well, we need to scale up um, that infrastructure and it was already built scalable. So it was just, um, you know, pretty much, you know, increasing the number of systems in a cluster and we were good to go. It was, it was very, um, we were very fortunate in that regard to be very well positioned for it. And I mean, it was, it was good planning, um, you know, by the leadership to, to fund that and, and allow us to move that direction. Um, but I know a lot of companies didn't have quite as smooth of a process. And, and from a team dynamic standpoint, we, we've, uh, uh, at, at our company have been blessed with, uh, the ability to, um, go, uh, you know, out uh, geographically for, for talent acquisition. So we've been hiring, you know, around the country for a while now, um, to address the cybersecurity, uh, t- you know, labor shortages. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we are, we're already geographically dispersed by our operations in Northern Ireland and Japan. And so, you know, that we had to have that culture for operations to work prior to COVID. Um, uh, so again, it just, it felt like a pretty natural, natural transition. Mm. Well, and DJ, we obviously, the podcast is focused on IoT security. We call it the extended internet of things. But even from just the general, and of course, XIoT is part of the overall threat landscape. So when you think and you mentioned kind of the focus there, one of your you know focus points and priorities is to address the, the threat landscape. How do you view that today? Um, we're, we're just finishing 2022, going into a new year. Um, when you think in term of, the landscape itself, what constitutes it, what are some of the threats and trends, and how does that then relate to your priorities? Um, what is What does that look like for you? Oh, well, I mean, what we're seeing, I think, is what a lot of companies are seeing is just a, a dramatic increase in sophistication of uh, what I would say is, is, is largely commoditized threats. Um, so you're your typical, um, you know, cyber criminal type of activities, extortion schemes, things of that nature. Um, but they're no longer, you know, poorly worded emails with links connecting you to servers and uh, obviously, um, you know, dangerous hosting locations that are easy to block from a threat intel standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, the level of sophistication has grown and, and we've, you know, seen the emergence of crime as a service 
where um, you know the the cyber criminal organizations have already they had already started uh, becoming more specialized, but with crime as a service, they can actually. Uh, have uh, outsourced capabilities where they're, they're very finely tuned, whether it's uh, social engineering, um, money mewing, whatever whatever they need to complete the piece of a, of a, a equation to be able to facilitate attacks. Uh, there's highly optimized, you know, very good services out there that they can they can hire uh, to accomplish things. And what that means is you're going to have very well worded. Um, yeah, uh, phishing emails. Mm-hmm. They're going to have uh, you know machine learning engines that scrape all your social media profiles and then tailor those phishing emails you know to your your personal experience and professional background, and uh, and all that makes it harder for things that look for those oddities um, you know to say that this is likely bad, and so you know we have to keep stepping up our game you know in response to to that increase in sophistication, and you know at the same time. Um, the business is, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think we're unique in this, accelerating, um, you know, the, the use of new technologies um, and more advanced technologies to, to get, you know, to market faster, to improve the user experience, uh, to reach prospective clients with more targeted and personalized product offerings. All that requires like more technology uh, that's, that's cloud-like, um, more models that are more like DevOps and all that means everything's happening faster. Mm-hmm. And so um, the uh, the threat landscape's getting more sophisticated. The business is moving faster. That creates an interesting and challenging dynamic at times to to um, to make sure that we're we're securing. And what that means for us is strategically, security has to move closer to our developers who are making these changes, you know, very quickly and taking more responsibility on the infrastructure side. Um, so it's it's um, you know never a dull moment. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and a lot of, uh, you know, very significant trends uh, at play here, um, you know, keeping us, um, you know, constantly looking at our strategy. You know, you mentioned the maturation of crime as a service, and I, I find that really interesting. I just got back from a, a multi-week tour throughout the Middle East and Europe, and some of the attackers are creating these crime as a service capabilities for their their customers that given how much they're paying each week or each month for the service, they could even get 24 by seven technical support uh, through email or through chat to really help them hone and refine what they're doing. Um, On the XIOT side, what we're finding is uh, these criminals will get into uh, traditional IOT devices. Let's say it's a security camera, printer, door lock, what have you. Sometimes some SCADA devices, OT systems, industrial control systems, and sometimes some network devices, uh, network attached storage, uh, you know, switches, load balancers, things of that nature. Essentially, what these devices have in common is they're all purpose-built pieces of firmware and hardware that you know print things or record things or open doors or control flow, what have you, but you can't put endpoint security on them. And they're usually Linux or Android or VXWorks or BSD. So they're relatively well-known operating systems. But what I was finding that was interesting is these criminals would get onto these types of devices because they know they can maintain persistence and evade detection if they compromise a printer or a camera juxtaposed to a a workstation, a server, or a laptop and and go relatively undetected for quite a long amount of time. And they're actually selling access to these devices which is more expensive than access to traditional IT devices because you're like, look, you might be able to hang out here for two years 
and yeah. and scan the network and download mm-hmm. data and exfiltrate over ICMP, whatever you want. If I give you access to a laptop, maybe you've got a few days, maybe you've got a few weeks, but you probably don't have a very long time. Um, and it just it just kind of shows you how quickly the space has evolved because, you know, go back just a few years ago, I don't think anybody was thinking about that level of persistence and evasion as it relates to XIOT devices. Is that something that you had had exposure to historically? Uh, it's definitely um, a, a paradigm and, 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 you know, concern in the, in the risk or threat matrix that, that we've considered, um, you know, not something that I've directly uh, been exposed to, but, but, you know, I, I think for, in the, in the cybersecurity world, uh, you know, professionals have thought about um, IOT, um, OT as a, uh, you know, attack surface that's uh, very different in terms of how you, how you provide protection and overlay uh, security. And so it's, um, it's definitely a concern and something, you know, that, that you, you need to be factoring in to how you're, you're overlaying your, your overarching strategy uh, acknowledging that, yeah, those are, those are operating systems. Those are, you know, those are computers, uh, whether it's a, a monitor or a refrigerator, um, you know, it's, 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 you know, the, the same capabilities exist, network communications, persistence, and so forth. And so it's, um, you know, it, it definitely expands the surface that we have to protect dramatically. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, you're, you're in a unique position where you're, you're leading large teams and you're, you've, been and maintained very hands-on as well. Do you think at that that upper echelon, that executive level, uh, maybe even board level, that that's really being understood that, hey, hey, you know, we might have 50, 100,000 more XIOT devices in our organization. Do we understand that this is a pretty big attack surface, you know, having all these devices, probably default passwords, probably old firmware, <laughs> probably lots mm-hmm. of vulnerabilities. Um, are are non-technical, non-security business leaders, do you think, aware of this threat um, at, at potentially the level that, that you think maybe they need to be? I think the non-technical um, teams and leaders are probably um, vaguely aware um, and, 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 and uncomfortable, probably like a, uh, just a, a sense of uneasiness about it. But um, probably don't quite grasp the the um, the the detailed nature of of the risks and the threats. Um, I think it, you know when you get like OT, SCADA, um, you know critical infrastructure. That that I think is probably different because there's operational risk, um, and and that's very well communicated. So I think that there's there's kind of a general understanding there that those are going to be targets, uh, and the impact to the to the business is substantial. But when you kind of bleed over to the IoT side of um, you know uh, you know embedded operating systems running on all these small devices. Um, I don't think that that risk is 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 probably very well understood, um, other than you know the the few articles that they've read about you know um, interesting you know DDoS type of things that have happened with thermostats and and stuff like that. They they kind of know that there's there's some threat there, um, but don't really know how does that apply to us. Um, and you know in the sea of things that we're trying to compete for attention on, I think IoT you know probably gets overlooked you know, a fair amount. Yeah. And we often say, Brian and I, you know, some of the statistics that we've seen through our research and and looking at millions of these kinds of devices, and Brian mentioned several of them, right? I mean, you've got 
half of these devices, you know, deployed with default credentials. The other half, maybe they've been changed once when they were deployed. You've got firmware on average seven years old. You've got a host of ports and protocols, extraneous ports and protocols that are wide open, Telnet, SSH. You've got loads of vulnerabilities, many of these that ship with the devices. So the idea that you just plug it in, it's already ready to to uh, to exploit you or, or, or be exploited. Um, so, you know, I mean, from, from a pure cybersecurity perspective, it's a horrible failure. Um, and Brian and I often say that we feel like we're back in the nineties, um, you know, with the state of XIOT security, right? And you think about where we were with just IT security back in the nineties. We're kind of like that there. Yeah. Um, Change your password, patch your devices. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Good luck with that. (laughs) Right. Exactly. I mean, all the basic things, but yet with, with XIOT, it's just kind of inherent in it and it's just there. So why do you, I mean, we can all guess probably why that is and why, as you said, some of the business and even maybe even some of the security leaders don't quite yet um, see that as a, a real big piece of the threat landscape or something that should be addressed. Why do you think that? Is it simply because we haven't had enough exploits? Um, there hasn't been enough pain around it? Is it an understanding issue? Is it is it a host of those things? Why do you think that is for you? Yeah, I'm going to go with D, all of the above. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I think um, I think there's there's some willful ignorance probably um, mm-hmm. where, you know, so, some leaders probably just assume, you know, they're taking care of it. The team's got that or mm-hmm. um, kind of these these um, incorrect assumptions that, well, you know, it's behind the firewall. And so, you know, it's, it's OK mm-hmm. um, or at least it's lower priority. And, um, and then, then, as you know, we've discussed like the, the, the competing, um, all the things competing for our attention, you kind of get drawn to, you know, endpoint security, you get drawn Mm -hmm. to email security, you know, like where's, where's the front line. And that doesn't mean that the other areas aren't still, you know, attack surface and and things that need attention. It's just, um, a disproportionate amount of attention kind of shifts towards, um, you know, where most of the action is. And so I think, you know, IOTs reminds me a lot of like um, uh, mobile where, um, you know, you, you, you get these like flashes in the pan where it's like, oh, I, you know, this IOT exploits and or, or some some breach that happened where they were they were maintaining persistence through an IOT device. And it's like, ah, see, that is that is something that we need to be paying attention to. And then it kind of fizzles away and it's back to, you know, ransomware and and endpoint stuff mm-hmm. and phishing and so forth. And so that there's a lot of distraction um, that kind of that kind of pulls attention away from it. Um, so I, I think it's a combination of all those things. Um, and, and, you know, frankly, like the, the reality is there's, there's probably some scenarios where it's just, it's a hard problem to solve. And, you know, some people just don't want to even face it. <laughs> you know, if I turn my head and don't look, maybe it'll go away. Um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, su- I'm sure that with, with how much work uh, teams have to, to resolve things that that's, you know, they're looking at that priority. Yeah, I, I really think you hit the nail on the head with that last portion, which is, you know, if I don't know about it, maybe it will just go away and I don't have to worry about it. Because if, if you think about it, you know, just voice over IP phones and door locks for most companies, that's in the tens of thousands. Mm-hmm. And you're going to send somebody around probably to one device at a time to to patch it, to change the firmware, to harden it, maybe manage the certificates. 
it, it becomes a really big scalability issue and it becomes an issue where you need automation. And now I don't just need to do door locks, but I need to do a hundred different types of IoT devices and versions and types and, and flavors. Uh, we work with a major um, hotel chain uh, that has you know hotels globally and they have a tremendous amount of XIoT devices. Uh, one of them that they have a lot of are printers. They have over 40,000 printers, just printers, not, not talking about any other devices they have, and all shapes, sizes, and flavors of printers. Um, if they were going to send somebody around to update the firmware on those, they have to arm them with a paperclip and hire an army of people to go around. Right. So it's just not going to be done because there's no manual way to do that. And I think historically that was one of the big problems. Um, and I think that's also why a lot of nation states and cyber criminals are saying, Hey guys, this is a this is a really good area for us to focus on because once we're into the IoT device, and quite frankly, most of these devices they get in through traditional phishing means. They'll get in through a laptop compromise or a compromise in a workstation. From there, they'll search out XIoT. They'll install their tools. They'll gain access, and then they'll use that to then attack IT devices and probably you know, siphon sensitive data, whatever it is they want to do. A lot of times they're making API calls to local exchange or Office 365 in the cloud and stealing data that way. But again, because no one's looking, because they're easy to compromise, because they can main, maintain persistence, it's one of the best vectors, I think, to attack IT is by hanging mm -hmm. out in XIoT. And again, the bad guys, they know this, and they're counting on organizations to be passive. They're hoping no one's going to pay attention because historically it was a very slow arduous process, which meant that it just wasn't going to be done. Yeah. So yeah, it's just one of those one of those crazy things. But uh, DJ, I know you see a lot of different things you, you see, you know, when it comes to threats and trends and business priorities. What are some of the kind of the new interesting, you know, attacks or war stories or use cases or lesson learned or whatever that you've seen maybe in the last couple of years that says, wow, this was this is quite different. Yeah, um, you know, I, th I think I kind of go back to the sophistication that from a novel standpoint, not a whole lot. It's 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 very much just you know continuing to find new and interesting ways to um, to, to uh, socially engineer people um, or to um, you know to, to scale attacks, and uh, you know you see things like the um, you know MFA fatigue um, attacks where it's like. Well, you have MFA, um, you know, getting in the middle of the, the um, exchange is, is very difficult. So how about we just um, hammer away at it and, uh, with requests until the person finally goes, well, why do I keep getting these? And just says, okay. <laughs> and then now mm -hmm. now the adversary is multifactored. Um, so they're, they're just getting, you know, you know, more persistent, um, more creative for that type of stuff. I would say one, one of the interesting things from a defensive standpoint that, um, you know, we've, we've you know, been been working on programs like this for a while, um, but I think it's still just just beginning to scratch the surface in terms of potential is is deception uh, technology, mm -hmm. uh, which when you talk about things like IoT, um, great use case for it. Um, you know, basically, if you're you know able to, uh, whether it's virtually or or with um, you know um, physical appliances or whatnot. Um, put enough um, decoys into an environment. And when I say decoys, I can mean like um, artificial systems. So uh, if you have a um, IOT subnet for like IP cameras or, or voice over IP systems, um, saturate that, v that VLAN with, um, with decoys 
And that way, if anybody ever is poking around, I try to say like, make your net your environment like Minesweeper, um, click in the little mm-hmm. uh, dots and like, you don't know what's behind that. Is that a, is that a mine or is it a, is it a blank space? Um, eventually you click long enough, you find Minesweeper is really hard <laughs> to not click on a mine eventually. And the more mines you have out there, the harder it gets. So we need to be putting more mines out there. And um, as, as we've uh, had scenarios where we've been able to increase the saturation of, of deceptive artifacts, whether it's decoy systems or uh, lures on the endpoints, um, credentials and LSAS, uh, you know, fake uh, re- uh, remote desktop connections and file shares, anything somebody's going to try to live off the land on, um, you increase the probability of detecting them regardless of what type of tactics they're using. And so I think that's an interesting paradigm. Um, I like um, elegant technologies like that. And, and, you know, I think we continue to see uh, more interesting things like that, you know, coming out and, um, you know, kind of zero trust is another area that I think, you know, offers a lot of potential. Um, so that's, that's sort of how, um, you know, I'm looking at it is how do we make uh, fundamental shifts in our uh, strategy to, to kind of improve the economics of cyber uh, because it can't be just, you know, more controls, more controls, more controls, because, that means more staff to run those, you know, talent is, 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 uh, you know, obviously a challenge for companies to acquire and it's getting more expensive. So, um, you know, something's got to give, and I think it's going to come in the form of, of being more innovative as an industry. Um, so that's how I, I, you know, like to look at those types of problems. Yeah. Just put the economic burden on the bad guys, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to have to spend more time, more resources, you know, have more more sets of tools to help attack these devices, and then they're like, "Ugh, it was another honeypot, right?" Um, it's it's almost like when you get these uh, text messages that say, "Hey, it's your boss, and I'm stuck in a meeting, and I need you to get some some Google gift cards and send it to me right away." And can you do mm-hmm. that? So, you know, you keep them on the line. You're like, you know, you're you know, you want to mess with them, <laughs> and they're wasting yeah. their time. Uh, but do do that at scale. No, that's that's awesome. You know, it's funny uh, using tools like Shodan. I remember just like checking, well, you know, type in like voice over IP or printer or, mm. or camera. You, you just get a ton. But the one that just blew me away were UPS systems. And UPS systems, usually mm. you have one because you have something really important plugged into it, whether it's an APC UPS system or whatever. Um, and I think the last time I was on Shodan, there was something like 15,000 or 20,000 that were internet accessible where it should be probably zero. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing that these are, but I always wonder how many of those are actually deception technology. And I, I guess there's a percentage. I hope mm-hmm. it's, I hope it's a hundred percent, but I'm guessing it's probably closer to four or 5% because the sad fact is that most of these UPS systems, like take APC, it's the most famous UPS system out there. Um, if you Google default credentials for uh, APC UPS system, it's APC APC. And mm-hmm. no one's ever changed the password and username at that since the beginning of time. So the fact that they're internet accessible and you can knock them offline, man, I hope these are all deception technologies out there. I haven't logged yeah. into any of them. <laughs> Unfortunately, I would wager that the percentage is zero. Because um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know many uh, deception programs that are exposing things to the internet because the whole point of of deception is it needs to be a you know low or no alert technology to really work and so if, if stuff's wrapping on it all the time then um 
then you don't know what's what's real and what's not. So maybe researchers um, have a few out there to mm-hmm. just see, you know, who's who's hitting these things and how. I'm sure that that's that's you know some percentage of it. But as far as decoys um, specifically uh, for for like enterprises to to throw off adversaries, unfortunately, I, I think these are probably just misconfigured things. Which you know that that definitely uh, IoT exacerbates um, the. Uh, that, or I guess makes more important the need to have uh, you know really good attack surface management from a, a external standpoint. You, know, you mm-hmm. got to know what's out there and exposed um, from for, from your organization. Kind of goes back to that whole things are changing faster, and and so you've got to be able to detect exposures more quickly um, because you know mistakes can and will happen. And you need to be the first to discover them. And so, you know, internet facing should definitely be a priority and nothing like that should ever be, <laughs> ever be facing the internet. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I talk a lot about that kind of what you mentioned there from an XIOT perspective, we need to think of these right, right along and as part of some of the major kind of areas uh, that, that people have from a project perspective. So take attack surface management, right? And we talk about XIOT attack surface management, given that I've, I've had conversations with some CISOs that, and, and security leaders that say, you know, when I really think about it, up to 30% potentially of my attack surfaces, these devices. So it's a big piece. And so we need to think in terms of when you think attack surface management, it just automatically includes XIOT. When you think of hardening and remediation, the proactive technologies, and I think one of the challenges with XIOT is it hasn't, there really hasn't been any way to proactively remediate these things and fix a lot of the problems we've been discussing. But when you think of hardening remediation technologies, XIOT needs to be there. And from a SecOps perspective, is I know you've got a SecOps team and you're leading it from a detection and response perspective, same thing, right? We need to actually, as you monitor and, and, you know, maintain other endpoints from an XIRT perspective, we need to maintain state on those and take a look at those. And, um, and so it's XIOT detection and response. So we think of those three things all together. And does that, I mean, is that something that you think would help with just as, so I have a project for attack surface management and we can say, well, XIOT should be a part of that. And same for hardening re- remediation. And detection and response is that is that a way that we might be able to get inserted into those kinds of projects and and uh, strategies or what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on that? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you know, back to what I was saying, you know, about the the trying to change the paradigms. Um, you know, what we should what I think we should be doing more as an industry is starting with the aspirational goals and then mm-hmm. working our way backwards to figure out how close can we get to it. Um, for example, um, we shouldn't have to patch. Patching is a very arduous task. Its um, efficacy is is a, a perpetual challenge for companies and so forth. Uh, we also should have a zero attack surface goal as a mm-hmm. you know aspirational. So how do you achieve that? Um, there's you know there's architectures and things that are starting to kind of move us in that direction. And if you look at like um, the opportunities of zero trust combined with machine learning. Um, you know, if you have machine learning overlaying all the communications in your environment, you see what talks to what um, and, and kind of do some enumeration and start to say, hey, these look like IoT devices based on the, the network traffic um, or other information and um, can start to classify, build archetypes and then say, you know, IoT devices, you know, are, 
only communicate with these. So you start to reduce the attack surface. And then the behaviors um, for IoT devices should be very consistent. It should be, you know, updates or wherever it's calling to or SNMP or print services or whatever, you know, the device is. It's got this fixed thing that it's doing. Any deviation from that should be, you know, immediate uh, cause for concern. Yeah. API calls to Office 365, probably not needed from your security camera. Yeah, if you're if yeah if your if your printer is uh, initiating an HDB connection, <laughs> um, for, uh, you know internally you have a problem. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, it's it's just things like that that I think you know there's a potential there. Um, the technologies you know churning and, and getting us closer. I think that that's that's really how we should be focusing at it. You know, it's I, I don't think we can take the conventional ways and figure out how do we jam that into an IoT paradigm. It's we have to look at it quite differently and say, you know, um, these devices are going to remain hard to patch. The operating systems are going to be embedded. Um, we can't necessarily trust the supply chain, which creates a whole other set of heartaches. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you, you know, um, in that that environment and with those considerations, you know, how do you secure it? It takes a very different approach. And I think uh, zero trust could get us a lot closer. Mm-hmm. Uh, machine learning um, and baselining. And, and uh, you know, kind of adaptive response type of things could get us closer. So um, you know, th- those are the types of, of things that we're looking at as, as in areas of investment, because I think that's the way the industry is going and needs to go. And, and you know, hopefully we can, we can stay uh, limber and creative and, and, and keep coming up with, um, you know, fundamental ways to solve these problems more broadly. Yeah, that's such a key point. I mean, I, I kind of I've kind of look at the world of XIOT as step one, attack surface management, right? You've got to know what you've got and you have to know what it's doing. So just managing from the internet who can talk to my XIOT devices, which should be very minimal, if any, and then which one of those XIOT devices has to talk out to the internet and if they are in what format. So that's kind of step one. And then, you know, harden those devices. They they're so promiscuous. Like a lot of printers are they're wired, they're wired lists, they're Bluetooth, they're HTTP, HTTPS, uh, TFTP, FTP. Tell them, they just connect to me, please, any way you can. Uh, and they're out there. And mm-hmm. certs are often, you know, self-signed, they're expired, they're TLS 1.1 or 1.2, they're just cryptologically unsound. And that's the patching thing that you mentioned. It's just to stay on top of that, it's such a bear. And when it gets into XIOT, it's like a, a super bear. I don't know if that's a thing, but it's really, really hard because they're so different and they all want to be updated different ways. And it's just the complexity of that. Um, it's it, And it's, again, it's the reason that I think cyber criminals and nation states are, are taking such interest in this. It's the whole reason that Russia had the front end XIOT hacking tool built for it by mm-hmm. uh, for the FSB. It's essentially a tool that finds your ex- finds your attack surface and that exploits the fact that they haven't been patched, they haven't been hardened, they're running bad certs. I mean it's it's the it's the flip side to what organizations are trying to do like um, secure these devices. So I think they're going right after that weakness that you've just uh, you've just outlined there. So I think that was spot on, DJ. Yeah, it's um you know we we were on to it very early as an industry or a profession um, with with segmentation, you know, and and all these aspirations for micro segmentation. But the technology and the the, the uh, architectures were just too arduous. You know, so many companies tried to do micro segmentation, and very few got even close. And um, you know, I think the the um, advances in technology, you know, related to, to machine learning 
and uh, you know some of the the reverse proxy uh, technologies. Uh, Secure Access Service Edge is a good place to to look at policy. Um, we have better tools. We're equipped better, um, and so I think I think we're kind of on the cusp of of making some meaningful progress. But the whole thing about you know trust, um, you know, we should be able to as an industry enumerate that this is a printer. We should be able to um, say as an archetype printer, uh, here's the types of things that are allowed and the things that are disallowed. And, um, you know, if it's exposed to the Internet, it's even less trusted and, and just be able to do some some policy enforcement that way. And so I think I think it's going that direction. Um, I'm definitely an optimist uh, with how much investments uh, flowing into to cyber, um, you know, like this to see the VC money come pouring in. It's, mm-hmm. it's driving a lot of innovation. And, um, you know, I, th- I think we'll, we'll continue to see progress. But, uh, you know, meantime, we can't sit back and pretend this problem isn't here and, and doesn't need to be addressed. We need to be solving it as best we can with what we have today. Yeah. And, and DJ, as we kind of come to the to the end of our time with you. It's really amazing. Um, there are a lot of listeners and many of them may be, you know, kind of new to their leadership roles in cyber. Um, when you think in terms of the things you're doing, the landscape we have, the pace of the business, uh, all the priorities to balance, all those things, what would be some words of advice for new practitioners coming in, listening to you with all your experience that you might give them in uh, dealing with cyber in, in today's world? Um, you know, probably, probably one of the key things I focus on, it's not very exciting. <laughs> so uh, if everyone's waiting for some really edgy response, you're probably going to be mm-hmm. let down. But, um, you know, I, I was in cyber long enough to see like uh, cyber kind of with IT then become its own thing and now reconverge. And I would say, um, you know, the, the whole cloud uh, and DevOps um, macro trends are um, they're here to stay. And um, I think that that's something to, uh, to, to make sure you embrace, do not ex- ignore or resist that trend. So learning um, DevOps, uh, you know, getting closer to the code um, and, uh, uh, you know, getting to know cloud technologies is going to be fundamental for security going forward because um, all the opportunity, um, you know, to, to get security aligned to IT is kind of moving into the development pipelines. And so um, the closer we are, you know, to our, to our um, application teams, you know, as they move towards DevOps and cloud, uh, the, the more opportunity we have to embed security as code to make it intrinsic uh, to the, um, the, de- the things that they're deploying. And I think that that's, you know, that's going to be, you know, very key to su- the success of programs. The ones who crack the code on that, are going to have a lot uh, more success, you know, comparatively, and so that's what I would encourage: is you know, spend some time getting getting to know um, how you want to fit into a security organization, or if you're in a leadership position, how you want to drive uh, strategy towards getting your team, you know, closer to the code and th- those deployments, and have a seat at the table to influence how all that's being done. Fantastic discussion, DJ. Thanks so much for joining us today, and. For those of our listeners, DJ, that might want to follow you, or are there any social channels that you're vocal on? Is there are there any um, you know channels where our followers might want to want to uh, see what you're thinking and and anything that you might want to tell them to where to find you? Uh, there, you know, I'm I'm on LinkedIn. Um, 
uh, as, as a PR person, I've, I've been on hiatus lately, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, staying busy. I, you know, certainly try to, um, you know, be out public speaking and uh, engaged in conferences and things of that nature. So, you know, hopefully we have opportunities to cross paths there. Um, but otherwise, you know, if someone just has questions, wants to, to talk, uh, you can certainly reach out to me on LinkedIn. Be glad to, to connect with anybody there. Thanks again to Brian, our host and our guest, DJ Goldsworthy. Thanks, John. Another awesome show. Yeah, thanks, everybody. It's a great opportunity. Appreciate it. And remember, everyone, the IoT Security Podcast is brought to you by Phosphorus, the leading provider of proactive, full-scope security for the extended Internet of Things. And until we meet again, I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contos. See you next time on Phosphorus Radio. Thanks for listening to this episode of the IoT Security Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe so you can join us again. While you're at it, leave a review. Find out more about IoT security and the podcast at phosphorus.io. See you next time on the IoT Security Podcast. Podcast.